Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And this week, our guest is David Diggs. You may know him as that one guy who played the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson in the original Broadway cast recording and presentation and performance of Hamilton. So what did I miss? What did I miss? Virginia, my home sweet home, I want to give you a kiss. Yeah, so I've listened to him do that thing. Oh my god. One How million many times? times. You think a million though? I mean coming up on it. At least several hundred thousand. You round it to the nearest whole number, a million. <laughs> David also has a rap group called Clipping, and he's the executive producer of a new show on ABC called The Mayor. It is excellent. Yes, David is everywhere yeah, right man. now, including on the big screen in the new movie Wonder, which is based on a YA novel, which actually my nephew has been reading in school because I think... All school children, All the children are reading Wonder in advance of this movie coming out. It's a story that has a message that's pretty hard to argue with. Yeah, it's all about accepting people who are different from you. The story is about a little boy. He's about to start fifth grade, and he's been homeschooled through his life, partly because he was born with this genetic disease where he had a lot of facial deformities to the point where he likes to wear this astronaut's helmet most of the time. And David plays his fifth grade teacher, Mr. Brown. Can anybody tell me what this word means? Anybody? No? Precepts are rules for really important things. Like mottos. Like mottos or like famous quotes or like um, lines from a fortune cookie, right? Precepts can help motivate us. They can help guide us when we have to make decisions about really important things. Okay, so who wants to read this month's precept? (laughs) What about you? What's your name? Summer. Summer. Want to give it a shot? When given the choice between being right or being kind, choose kind. That's David Diggs and the new film Wonder. We're going to talk with David about all of his projects, including, of course, Hamilton. David Diggs, welcome to Nerdette. Hello, thank you. So I saw Wonder last night, hey. in which you are the teacher. Yeah. And I woke up this morning and I re- like my cry face muscles are sore. <laughs> sore a little bit, yeah. I was like, what is this in my forehead? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I cried a lot last night in a movie theater. I know. I did, too, when I saw it. And I saw it all by myself. So I could, like, really – I didn't have to pretend for anybody or, like, worry about not bothering anyone. I was alone in a movie theater, though, just crying. Oh, yeah. If I were alone, I would have really – I'm not the type to cry at movies that I don't really enjoy crying. It's not a th- I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, good cry. Like, I don't – that's not <laughs> part of my rubric. But – it was good. You know, it was actually so much of it was joyful, which I don't know. It was good. I was happy it worked out that way because that's how I felt about the script. and That's how I felt about the book. I had the same experiences with both of those. So. 
I wonder what is a movie like this that's so much about celebrating differences and choosing kindness mean for you at a time like this? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the best things about being in this project and being associated with it is we are um, we are in a time where, like, our leaders are sort of famous bullies, right? And um, our, our president is essentially existing on a platform of hate at this point, right? So being part of something that is a direct counter-narrative to that is really important to me. But also that just demonstrates successful outcomes of being kind, right? I think because beyond just politics right now, I think generally in business, in certainly in my business, in acting and whatever you are, we're told oftentimes that we have to be really cutthroat, Mm -hmm. that you always have to look out for yourself. You have to be suspicious of everybody and that that is the way to be successful. And so it's nice to be part of a success story where the road to success is actually the opposite of that. It's actually of choosing kindness over winning. This movie is also largely geared towards kids, which I think is really important because, you know, I think the stakes for kids can feel so intense, right? When, like, all you have is this little space that you exist in and everything is just so real and intense and you don't have as much perspective in terms of the fact that, like, this will be over someday, you'll move on, it'll be okay. What do you hope kids get out of a movie like this? I I really hope that it encourages kids to just be brave enough to show up. And be themselves and be fully themselves Um, because that is that is you realize how brave that is when you're watching this movie. Watch Augie go to school for the first time. It's just all of a sudden, I don't know, for me, I was taken right back to my first day of a new school, you know, and being so nervous and overcoming that is a big deal. But I think it's that kind of bravery that we really need in the world. And so I hope that the film encourages that. And I do think you're right. Like the the kid focus of it is one of the things that allows us to get as emotional as we do when we watch it for adults, you know, because all of a sudden you're taken back to this time before you had figured out how to not feel things. Right. <laughs> oh, you like, oh, that hits me, man. <laughs> I, I know. But that I, I had that revelation while I was watching. It was just that it, yeah. I think it was because it was so kid focused and you're sort of immediately transported into Augie's perspective and Augie's world that. Now you can feel everything, which is, I think, so many people have come up to me being like, oh, I was so emotional. I haven't felt like this in so long. I do think that's kind of the secret of it is that it allows you to feel things in a way that you we we all sort of figure out how not to do in order to get through our days. (laughs) My name is Mr. Brown. I left Wall Street to pursue my dream and teach. Who is it that I aspire to be? That is the question that we should be asking ourselves all the time. Hey, you're not alone. What kind of person am I? And you played Mr. Brown, who's the teacher, Mm -hmm. which means that, was it all the scenes? Pretty much all the scenes you were in were just with the kids. Yeah, yeah. I only worked with kids. One of the scenes that made me cry maybe the most was this fight scene that took place between two of the boy students. Can you tell me what the circumstances were like around filming that? So there's a a great scene in the film where where two of the students are they get in a fight like a physical altercation in the hallway and and my character Mr. Brown comes in and and breaks up the fight. And you know when you're shooting a film you have to shoot things 
10, 20 times. So we were going to have to do this fight a lot. And it was, there was a ton of choreography, obviously, and like, you know, stunt work, mats on the ground, a whole bunch of really technical stuff. But also these kids, these young actors, 11, 12-year-old actors, have to go there emotionally every time. And they did. They are such fantastic actors. Um, and so they were, every time we ran it, they were crying. They were emotional. I'm like, you know, they're they're really going for each other. I was actually pulling them apart. Um, but whenever the director called cut, it's in a hallway full of kids. And all of these young actors would come over and, like, hug the two actors who had been fighting and tell them how great that was and, like, tell jokes and lighten the mood and try to get them ready to have to do this again because they knew that they were going to have to do it again. It was just one of the most magical things I've ever seen. And so I was crying the whole time. I was like, <laughs> I'm crying in the scene because it's emotional. And then after the scene, I'm like wrecked because of these displays of kindness from these these kids. And it was just, uh, it was a really incredible day. I would, I would absolutely never forget it. It's pretty cool to think about the kindness in the movie and the fact that that seeped through even behind the scenes in a film like that, you know? Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with Steve Inchvosky, with the mm-hmm. director. He really created this atmosphere that reflected the values of the film. Um, and that was so important. And I, I didn't realize at the time how rare that is and how difficult that is also because it's the first film I'd ever done. So for him to really take the time to create that environment to get the kinds of performances that he got, not only from me and all the other adults, but from these kids too, one of the most striking things for me watching the film is just in the background of scenes, watching kids just be kids, like mm-hmm. sort of like play hitting each other or whatever. A lot of that wasn't <laughs> scripted. It was just huh. Stephen creating the space for for kids to exist as they really are. That is really cool. So you mentioned this is the first film you've done. Your background is in theater. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first stage performance that you saw where you were like, oh, my God, that? Ooh. Oh, that's a that's a good question. I don't know. I used to go see plays all the time as a kid. I'm from the Bay Area. They were, I don't know. Like I used to go see puppet shows at Fairyland. Shout out to Oakland. Only people from Oakland really oh. know what that is. But at Fairyland at Lake Merritt in Oakland, they had these sort of puppet shows that were so awesome that I love. You know, I wanted to be a puppet for a long time. I thought that was the coolest <laughs> thing. Out. Um, How do you be the puppet in this scenario? I, yeah, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> maybe we sure are all. Maybe we are all a little bit. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But I think. Um, <laughs> I think for me, the the impetus to start acting was really sort of accidental. It was about, I was very shy. I'm still very shy. Uh, but I also loved people. I love being around people. I love being in big groups of people. I was sort of a very introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm. And my fourth grade teacher one time had, a, or every week used to have the whole class memorize poems. It was maybe like one or two poems we were all memorizing. You had to recite them at some point during the week. And everyone did the same poem. And one time I got up and just acted it out, you know. I don't know what made me decide to do that. But all of the kids laughed when I wanted them to laugh. And it was like a light bulb for me because it was a reason to be in a big group of people and to be heard and to be seen but that didn't make me feel terrified, you know, because I wasn't really, it wasn't really about me. It was about the work, kind of. And so that's what, and and the only thing I knew how to do, the only thing I get right in middle school, there were school plays. So I did plays so that I could be on stage in front of people so that I could be around people and be seen and be heard, but have it not be about me. So that's kind of why I got into theater, just because that was the only thing that presented itself to me. So you were like, I am going to be the puppet master. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I fancied myself a young Jim Henson. <laughs> <laughs> so then how does rap fit into that? Because... I mean, I think it's probably pretty obvious looking back now at Hamilton, like, oh, of course, musical theater and rap, like, there's obvious crossover there. <laughs> yeah. Did they feel like separate paths for you growing up? No, no, they still don't. I mean, I, I started writing rap songs, like, probably not long after I started doing school plays, like, early in high school or, or middle school or whatever. And um, for me, the writing of rap music ended up just being the easiest way for me to express myself. I I work well within constraints. It's the same reason I like acting, actually, is because what acting really is is a set of constraints through which you have to tell the story. I am this kind of person from this place. Here are the words I have to say. How do I tell, like, a full story through that? And rap's the same thing. You have this constraint of meter. You have this constraint of, of time signature. How do I use that to tell a story in a way that sounds cool and that makes people hear it? So... I think the thing that attracts me to them both is the same. And and I was an intern at the Hip Hop Theater Festival in 2001. Like, hip hop and theater have been happening together for a long time. The reason that Hamilton is, feels like such an anomaly for all of us, I think, is because the way plays work right. is that you do a play and you have an incredible time and generally nobody cares, right? I mean, you you did it, the people who saw it had a transformative experience and that's how it goes. But the world at large doesn't pay attention to it at all. Um, but I think for those of us who work in theater like that, there's been hip hop's been creeping its way in for a long time, and it is. It was always surprising to me that it took it as long to be successful on Broadway as it had. Mostly because when you look at Broadway, you know, in the 40s and 50s and even in the 60s, it was sort of relying on popular music, on the popular music of the time, in order to sell tickets. And I don't know when that stopped, but you know, rock musicals came about, and then that was it. Hip-hop's been the most popular music in the world for 15 years at this point. You know, I mean, yeah. it's been a huge moneymaker. So the, the, it, you're right that it seems obvious, but probably because it was long overdue. He's constantly confusing, confounding the British henchmen. Everyone give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman. I'm taking this horse by the reins, making red coats, weather with blood stains. And I'm never going to stop until I make a jump up and I'm up and scatter the remains down. Watch me engaging them, escaping them, enraging them. In just a minute, we're going to hear from David about being the executive producer of a new ABC show, The Mayor. You're listening to Nerdette. For this to succeed, there's someone else we need. I know. So he knows what to do in the trench, ingenuitive and fluent in French. I mean, so you're going to have to use him eventually. What's he going to do in the bench? I mean, no one has to David Diggs is also an executive producer of this new ABC show called The Mayor. It's on right after Blackish. You can also watch it on Hulu. It is about a 19-year-old named Courtney Rose. He's a rapper who decides to run for mayor. Now he's adding a new title to his playlist, Candidate for Mayor. So, yeah, it turns out it's super easy to run for local office. Step one, get 200 signatures. Step two, don't be a felon. And I'll go to trial to next year. I'm just playing my I love you. And believe it or not, he wins. The show feels a lot like Parks and Rec. It's got sort of that like yes. community government feel. And then speaking of community, the mom on this show is one of my favorites from the show community. Remember Yvette Nicole Brown? Yes, she is awesome. The show is really great. I love the mayor very much. I think for a number of reasons. We were talking about it in our production meeting, and I'm pretty sure it's the only show on primetime that has a black teenager male protagonist who's not an athlete or, like, in jail. Yeah. Yeah. 
revolutionary material Which, right like, there right? Oh shocking God. but like <laughs> yeah um yeah there are um a bunch of intelligent fun hard-working relatively successful young black men on this tv show and uh, yeah it's bright and funny yeah. and still deals with a lot of serious stuff but in such an enjoyable, like, it's just such a pleasure to watch it and see these people on TV, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we're we're blessed with, like, this amazing cast, right? They're just, like, the most charismatic Cubans uh, ever. So I think it makes the rest of our job a little bit easier in that. I think they cover up a lot of our flaws sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the show is really good, too, at playing into and against stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. The writer's room is, is so smart. Um, and they, yeah, they do a really great job of, of creating humor that is like topical but also isn't and and political but not mean-spirited that Mm -hmm. is a tricky line to walk and it's you know wonder walks a similar line too about you know that uh it is easy to be cynical you know and and there's a lot of good comedic points in cynicism um that's kind of the quick way to the joke but the, the mayor manages to stay away from that and it's 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 very cool and very tricky and so I'm, I'm super proud of the show so we've talked about like 17 different things that you're doing right now and that you're really good at <laughs> um how do you decide what goes where like when you have a creative spark like that could be part of the rap group clipping it could be a line in, that the rapper mayor has in <laughs> in the mayor it could you know like how are you navigating what goes where in terms of like what you're excited about making yeah, I think the the I'm still figuring it out, but I think the the technique I'm going for right now is to continue to make my circles smaller. So like clipping, those guys make the music for the mayor also. Right. Um we're also I I got asked to do this partnership with ESPN where I'm writing sort of sports specific like rap songs. That's awesome. We did one for the opening day of the Warriors uh, uh, basketball season that they aired before the game. We shot this crazy video oh but I work with Clipping on that too you know. Back to the bay Gonna bring another one back to the bay. Show the whole game how to act in the bay. Squad stacked in the bay. You can hate, but you can't ignore the facts in the bay. Look, me and Rafael Casal, who's another collaborator through map, rap music, we like also have written a film together, and we also are, you know, in the process of starting a production company. Like we, the way to make sure that the ideas don't get wasted is by having a great team of people around me who are smarter than me and <laughs> who have a higher capacity than I do, so that they can sort of remind me, oh, remember this really good idea. Here's a a thing we could use it for, and we could continue doing our same collaboration this way. (laughs) So one thing we like to do on Nerdette is talk to well-known people about their little-known obsessions. Uh And through the grapevine, (laughs) we heard that you are obsessed with the Broken Earth trilogy. I am, yeah. I've only read the first two. Me too. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting They're to start so the third. I had good. to take a break before I started yes. the third. Yeah. So where, how did you come across them? This uh, is the series by N.K. Jemisin, yeah. who's a science fiction writer. Partly what I think is so cool about them, speaking of representation, is just the idea of like people of color in a future world, right? Which doesn't happen all the time when it comes to sci-fi, especially. Yeah, you know? that's part of the... I mean, you know, there's a whole this whole field of sort of Afrofuturism, yeah. which um, there's there's debates about what exactly that means. But uh-huh. what is clear about it is that is it, it is about imagining uh, brown bodies Survival. in the future, which yeah. which uh, is is in itself, shockingly enough, a revolutionary <sighs> Shouldn't politics. Shouldn't be audacious, so, right. but seems to be. 
Um, so I read the Inheritance trilogy, uh-huh. which was her first series, I believe, because the other two members of Clipping had started reading oh, it, cool. and so they told me oh to get God, on. Oh my God! So you're a book and group I, too? Oh yeah, no, we're for sure a book group. All sci-fi though. We only read sci-fi. Right? Awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the book I'm reading to take a break from Broken Earth is Three Body Problems. <laughs> like, I pretty much only read sci-fi books. Good. So that's when I sort of fell in love with with Nora's writing. And then, um, you know, while I was reading those, Clipping started working on our album Splendor and Misery, which is an Afrofuturist album. Mm-hmm. And there are we just one of the fun things we did while making this album was to sort of try to create a universe in which all of our favorite things that exist in universes that all of our favorite sci-fi writers created can exist in the same universe. So it's this this real, like, kind of messy amalgam of (laughs) of sci-fi things. But Nora's characters, N.K. Jameson's characters from from the Inheritance trilogy are referenced in, in a couple of the songs. Three siblings happen to be gods and they fight as siblings do. The world was only water then. The universe was fresh and new. And poison bumbus food. And she came and saw Hamilton. Uh, I think she won the lottery one day and sat in the front row and she tweeted about it and it happened the other clipping guys happened to be in town we were working on music for that album so I like hit her back on Twitter like oh my god I'm in love with you and you're my favorite writer and we are stealing your stuff for this album and would you want to come listen to it so she like came and around the studio and we got to play her these songs that are sort of based on her characters and then we went and ate Cuban sandwiches and yes. uh, we've sort of been in touch off and on ever since and uh, she she gave me uh her copy of the first two books. What? Yeah, yeah of the of the Broken Earth trilogy. Wow. So, yeah. So I, uh, but they're they're so good. They're really they're really so good. good. They're. Excellent. I don't even want to like tell people because there's that awesome trick that happens like you know most of the way through the first one. Yeah. No. That just like it changed it it changed the way books worked for me. Kind <laughs> of. You know, I was just like, no, you can't possibly like what? How? I don't know how to feel about this. Yep. Like, yep. an was, awesome bit of yeah, misdirection. It you was know, so good. Yeah. So you mentioned meeting Nora kind of because of Hamilton. Mm. You got to meet a lot of amazing people backstage yeah. at that show. Was there a person in particular who just like, you know, if someone had told you five years before that that like you're gonna hang out with so and so backstage, uh, you would have just been like, "That is untrue, sir." Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the first real uh, like famous champions of the show was Busta Rhymes. He came, <laughs> really? yeah, he came really early on at the public. Um, sat in the front row with a red shirt and a bunch of gold chains on, and the public is a very small theater. You know, we were so we, he was right there. <laughs> he was right there, and I don't think they had intended him to sit there. They had seats saved for him further back. We sat there, and I guess at intermission, we heard that they came down and were like, "You can actually move to these better seats back there." And he was like, "No, nah, I want to stay up front." You know, um, and then he came, he came backstage afterwards and just was so complimentary and. Was you know talked to us for an hour about how important the show was and how oh. much he appreciated as sort of a a part one of the building blocks of hip hop really like he is he is a living legend in that sense how much he appreciated um, the work and the the sort of careful references to to early rap music um, and like 
I can text Buster Rhymes right now. Like that, <laughs> that is a crazy thing to me. I grew up studying this man. When the album When Disaster Strikes came out, I remember picking it up at Amoeba Records in Berkeley Amoeba. on the day it came out. I remember driving my mom's car that I had put the CD player in and that uh, and and playing that CD and having to pull over by UC Berkeley uh, because I, it was too good. I remember like never having heard anything like it before and pulling over and listening to the whole thing twice just parked by a fire hydrant. You know, just like I, I couldn't get over how amazing this record was. I got to like sit in the studio with him not too long ago and listen to a bunch of his tracks for the sequel to that album which he's working on. Like that is a crazy thing that Hamilton did for my life. I was on the BET Awards in a cipher. I've been a rapper my whole life. You could never tell me that I needed to do a Broadway show in order to get in the BET cipher. That is a really crazy cultural moment. <laughs> you gotta call it a win, though, man. For sure. Oh, man, I'll take it anyway. I can get him. Coming up after the break, we get some real nice homework from W. Diggs. Not Minnesota nice, real nice. <laughs> You're listening to Nerd And now, homework. From a teacher. Well, he plays one on the movie. <laughs> I think on behalf of Wonder, I should probably say this, and this is this is one actually that's real for me also since I had started shooting. So, and I, I know it sounds cheesy, but I, I actually do think about this so much since I shot the film. The film has this motto, choose kind, right? And it, ever since working on that film, I am struck by how many times a day you have that opportunity, you know, and how easy it is and how little it costs you. And so I found myself for the last, really, it's been, you know, a year since since we shot this, thinking about that often, just in the line at Starbucks. Is there a way that, like, smiling at somebody that costs me nothing helps their day out? So in honor of wonder, I will, I will encourage everybody to think about, spend one day trying to actually think about the number of times you could have chosen kind, whether you do it or not. I think it'll be pretty shocking to you. It is for me. That is excellent homework. No, it's, it's, it's real sappy, but, you know, see the movie and, and, and then you'll understand. Yeah, you'll get or it. Or read the book. David Diggs, thank you very much for coming on Nerdette. Thank you. I think this is good advice. I would like to couple it with making sure that we all feel also a healthy amount of feminist fury. But there's a balance. Y- you know, there's it's, a balance. It's interesting to hear you say that because that is my, yeah, that's the conundrum about being nice. Like walking around with a smile on your face all the time, like invites certain things from other people that can be difficult. Or also just it makes it seem like things are okay. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, you don't have to pretend they are. But if it's not the fault of the person you're talking to, be nice to them. There you go. I've added caveats to be kind. (laughs) Feminist caveats. Feminist caveats. It's good. It's good. Feminist caveats is the name of our band. (laughs) It's very aggressive. (laughs) 
but also nice. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Manizak, and our intern is B. Aldrich. Please subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, or you can follow us on NPR One, or you can listen in the WBEZ app. Something that is very super helpful is if you leave us stars on Apple Podcasts like Ground Nuts Are Us and Quixotic Neutral did. Thank you for the kind reviews. Is a ground nut an acorn that has fallen? I believe so, yeah. All right. Yes, it is. You can find us on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.